Good morning. Good morning. I gave you guys uh, a little extra time to say hello because I'm going to take a lot more of your time. Um, my name is Josh Karstensen. I'm, I'm new here. Uh, some of you guys recognize me if you've been here the last couple weeks. Others of you who are new, um, welcome. Welcome. I'm new as well. So uh, here we are. We are going to be finishing the book of Jonah today. Um, last couple weeks we did chapter one and chapter two. Today we're going to finish it. Um, so if you've gotten to like my um, preaching and, and the length of it, I've been short, you know, I'm sorry, this is it. Um, but I'm going to make up for it, and, and today's going to be long. So, so get comfortable, um, enjoy your seat. I hope you like the person you're sitting next to, because we're going to be here a little while. Um, let's pray, let's pray. God, um, we thank you that we have your word, and um, we thank you that we have the story of Jonah Lord, we thank you that, that Jonah was an ordinary man that you used to do mighty things with. And we pray that we, Lord, will be used to do mighty things for you. Lord, we, we ask that your spirit would move in us, that we would leave here this morning different than when we came in. Or that we would leave here understanding that we need to cling to you, that our joy needs to be rooted in you and not in ourselves, and not in the comforts of this present time. Jesus, we love you, and we worship you with our lives. In your name, amen. Um, I got a pulpit this week, so just be ready. It actually protects my spit from... I was going to say the first row was clear, but you can... that's good. Um, like I said, we're in the book of Jonah. We're in the book of Jonah, and we're going to finish it today. Um, we're going to be running through chapter 3 and chapter 4. We're going to be going a little bit quicker than I'd really like to go. But um, for time purposes, we're going to be flying through it. We're going to be soaring high. We're going to be kind of taking a bird's eye view over most of it. Um, we're going to hit a little bit of turbulence, and then we are going to land. And, and I hope it's going to be a glorious landing. Um, I hope you brought your Bible today, and I only say that because we're, we're going through, we're railing through two chapters, and we're going to do it the same way that we've been doing the last couple. I'm, I'm going to read straight through it. We're going. So if you have your Bible, it will be helpful to just see where we're at. So I will do my best to give you a heads up as to where we're going, um, as to what's going on, but it will be helpful to follow along. So a quick recap where we've been with Jonah so far. Um, in chapter 1, we started with God, and God calls out to Jonah, and he says, Hey, Jonah, listen up. I love this people over here. They're, they're evil, and they need me. Please go to them and tell them that. I have a message of repentance for them. Please go there and tell that to them. And Jonah says, No, 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 I'm running. I'm going the other way. And he runs, and he goes as far and as fast as he possibly can, and he finds himself on a boat heading the complete opposite direction. And on that boat, God is with him. He, he doesn't leave him. He was with him the whole time. And he, he sends a storm to that boat. And, and people are going to die. I mean, this storm is a violent storm. They try to ride it out, but, but they can't. They got nowhere to go. And Jonah finally says, all right, guys, um, this is my fault. Um, I'm the reason why... Uh, this storm is here. I'm running away from God, and, and he's calling me back to him. And the only way that this thing's going to stop is if you throw me overboard. So the sailors throw him overboard, um, and here's Jonah. He's in the water. He's swimming around. The boat's gone, um, and he, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. And last week, 
Or two weeks ago in, in chapter 2, verse 2, Jonah cries out and he says, God, I got nothing. I'm dead. I'm headed to hell. Um, I'm drowning. Um, I need you. I need you. And we learned that God responded to him. And God sent an answer to his prayer. He sends a fish to swallow Jonah. All right, that's gross. I'm just going to say it. For those of us who, who have a hard time um, realizing God's power and we think that God can't work in my situation, right? right? He, can't, he can't quite figure me out. You know, God can do anything. I mean, God used a fish here. In other places, he uses talking donkeys. I mean, God is radical in his uses to, to get us to come to him. And, and that's good news. That is good news. And, and at this point, Jonah's rescued. He's in the fish. And he says, what I have vowed, I will make new. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he gives the Lord his life and says, I'm going to follow you. I will do what you ask me to do. I'm going to go to Nineveh. And verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's even grosser. You know, I, that's, that's nasty. Um, I just, uh, we're not going to go there. Um, open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. This is where we're going today. Chapter 3, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Some of you guys have asked what version I'm reading from. It's the English Standard So chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Does this sound familiar? Haven't we already read this verse? Verse 1, chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said... And every time I come across this verse, every time in the last month during my study of the book of Jonah, this makes me happy. And it makes me happy because I know that there are guys out there who are just like me. Right? You know that God's told you to do something, you've forgotten about it, and you realize, shoot, ah, I messed up. I messed up. And how often does that happen instantly? You know, you say something, you're like, why did I say that? Or afterwards, you're thinking, man, if I would have just said this, that would have been so much better. But, but God gives Jonah a second chance, and he says, it's all right. It's all right. We're, we're starting over again, you know, and just like us. How many times do we have to hear something to understand it? How many times? Um, verse 3, 1 is, is all about second chances. It's all about God's grace and his forgiveness in us. Because Jonah wasn't just saved, but he was restored to a position of honor. You know, being a prophet was a noble position. And God says, it's okay that you messed up here. I'm restoring you and I'm bringing you back. And this time Jonah's in, right? No more fish, no more ocean. I will do what I'm commanded. I am following you, Lord. And and verse 3 says he went to Nineveh. Uh, My in-laws, they were here first service. Um, they're gone now. Um, they, visit, they, they visited us this weekend. No, I totally love them. Um, and on Thursday, I get this call from my mother-in-law, and she says, um, Josh, we're on our way. Um, it's pouring rain. We got the sofa in the back of our truck. It's all tarped up. Things are good to go. And your cousin is going to be a couple hours behind us on his motorcycle. And, and this is Thursday, and it's pouring rain. And, and they're coming from Eureka, We've got 350 miles to go. 
And my cousin takes a drive on his motorcycle. I'm thinking, that's crazy. He's got a crotch rocket, and it's, it's not a comfortable one. It's, one. it's one of these for 350 miles in the pouring rain. Jonah went 500 miles. 500 miles. That's dedication. Okay? And, and chances are he walked it or rode a donkey. 500 miles on a donkey is a long way to go. I'm just saying. And then, and then here's us, right? A lot of us have a hard time getting up on Sunday morning to come here. Okay, you guys are here good. But uh, we, we got to get up. We got to get out of bed. You know, so we got to put clothes on. We, we got to eat something. Some of us don't. We, we come here. We got to get in our car. You know, and then you got to get the key and you, and you, you got to turn it. That's a lot of work. And if you drive a clutch or a manual, you, you got to put the clutch in. Jonah walks 500 miles, 500 miles. That, that is commitment. Anyone here walked to Sacramento? I mean, I'd be impressed if anyone rode their bike, let alone walk. And, and here's Jonah. Here's Jonah. Now in the middle of three to nine. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone who turns from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands, who knows? God may turn and and relent and turn from his fierce anger that we may not perish. Nineveh repents. And and there's a lot of material here. I'd love to spend a week here, but just for time, we can't do that. But but I want to point out a few things. And then the first thing is that this is messy. It's a messy repentance. And and being Westerners, we want details. Like I, I want to, as a pastor, I want to know what this guy said. You know, how do you go into a city and have the entire city now repenting and in sackcloth and ashes, calling out saying sorry. Right, right. How did that happen? But, but we don't have that. We don't have the how and the when and the where and the, and the why. It's simply not given to us. And, and because this is true, subsequently, there's a fair amount of scholarly debate out there um, concerning the nature of the repentance that took place here. I, I want to give you just a few, um, a few of the options um, that for the universal and quick repentance of the people of Nineveh that are out there. Just a few of them. Uh, one suggestion is this, that the sailors who were on the boat with Jonah, um, they actually went back to Nineveh because they thought they'd killed Jonah. They threw him over uh, and uh, they thought he was dead. You know, they didn't, they didn't know the fish was coming. And so they, they went back to Nineveh and they preached and started a catalyst and Jonah came and, and, and finished it for them. And, and that's what some people believe. Um, a, a couple other ideas. Some historians say that the universal repentance of Nineveh was due to a couple of plagues that took place. In 756 
And 759, there were two plagues that erupted in Nineveh. And in 763, there was a total eclipse of the sun. And then these were both considered signs of divine anger. So people were, were a bit scared. And they're saying, oh, man, the gods are angry at us. And here comes Jonah saying, you better repent. So everyone says, okay, okay, we're going to do it. We will do it, God. Don't be angry at us. And my personal favorite, some people say that, that Jonah just looked crazy. Um, being in a fish for three days, they say that the stomach acid like bleached out his skin and people thought he was a ghost. This is like return of the walking ghost calling us to repentance. And I don't know, it's just pretty wild. And, and that's what some people think. And my point here is this. My point is this. We don't know why. We don't know why that there was universal um, repentance and, and we don't know how it happened. Um, the point is this. Remember, the book of Jonah is about God, right? And it's not a book written to the 21st century reader that will give us every possible explanation as to who and how and when and where and why. It's this. The people of Nineveh repented from their evil, right? They, they repented, and that's the point. That's the point. And it gets messier. Um, to add to the messiness, let's look at verse 5 and 8 through 9. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Skip down to 7. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so, so that we may not perish. And this is it. This is the extent of the repentance that we have. And it's obvious from the text that the people of Nineveh believed right? They believed. But the question that one has here is, well, what did they believe in? What is it that they did believe? And there are two options that scholars debate over. And I'm going to give us a couple of these options. The first one is this. The people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. And the second one is that they believed in God. Two very different options we have going on. The first one says they believed God. Okay? The, they believed that what Jonah said would happen would really happen. They believed that they needed to repent or else. They believed that. Okay? Jonah's message implied repentance from evil to avoid judgment. And they simply did what was necessary to avoid judgment. You know, the, the text doesn't say, and they all gave up their, their foreign gods and they sacrificed to Yahweh, who is king. It doesn't say that, right? So at least temporarily, they showed remorse and willingness to reform to, the, to God and, and, have, and have their lives worshiping him for a while. Okay, the, the second option is that they believed in God. Okay, many theologians think that, that this truly was a great revival, that they put their hope and their trust in the living God. And this was truly a saving faith, which resulted in a transformation of moral standards, hence the um, fasting and the sackcloth. And, and this was real. And remember, last week I talked about Jesus, who says, I'm the greater Jonah. And he says that Nineveh repented. So this is a very real option. There's, there's merit to this view. But again, it's not explicitly clear. It's not explicitly, explicitly clear. And I'm going to do something that I don't usually do. I'm going to take some liberty here. And, and I'm going to assume that there was probably some of both going on here. There was probably some of both. And we don't know this for sure. 
But what we do know is this, that later, less than 50 years, the Assyrians returned to their violence and they actually overtook and conquered Israel. So the very next generation did not follow the Lord and they conquered Israel. So while assuredly there were people who were genuinely saved, this faith was not a lasting faith. It wasn't. People repented to Jonah's preaching out of fear and fasting, and their wearing of sackcloth was simply a show for many. For many. And this is my fear for us. This is my fear that our faith, that our repentance can be a show. That even though we have an outward appearance of a healthy relationship with Christ, that inwardly our hearts are in fact motivated by something much different than Christ and his love. And this is idolatry. This is idolatry. And we're going to get into this. We're going to, we're going to wait till we get to Jonah, and then I'm going to tackle both of them together. So verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, just because I know that there are some of us right now who are saying, I knew it. I knew it. God changes his mind. You can't trust the Bible. This is a joke. Just, just relax. Right, right. The Bible is clear. It's, it's crystal clear. Numbers 23. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Right, right. God doesn't change his mind. Let's, let's take a few steps back. God sees the, the wickedness in Nineveh, and, and this isn't a surprise to him. You know, God didn't look down and say, oh, my goodness, what are you guys doing? You know, I'm, I'm here playing Xbox, and I take a break, and look, everyone's gone crazy. You know, God doesn't do that. God, God's not like that. He is everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's, he's powerful. He, he knows what's happening. And he sends Jonah to them, and he says, listen up, Jonah, or listen up, Nineveh. Please, I want you to repent. If you don't, you're going to be destroyed. So his relenting of punishment, it's simply implied in the proclamation. It's simply implied. He doesn't say it, but, but think about it. Why would Jonah go there if God was going to destroy him anyways? What's the point of saying, you got 40 days? It's implied. If you had 40 days, what do you do? You'd hop on your camel and you'd run away, right? If you knew that 40 days were coming, no, they, they repented. They repented, and God relented of the disaster he said he would bring to them. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What? I didn't read this in Sunday school. We didn't turn the page here. You know, we had chapter 1, 2, and 3, but where did chapter 4 come from? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. This doesn't make sense. Why would Jonah be angry? He, he preaches repentance. Everyone repents, and now Jonah's angry? It's imperative for us to understand chapter 4. It's imperative, imperative for us to see Jonah's idols here. And it's important for us to understand that our idols are very, very similar. Verse 2, Jonah said, 
God, is this not what I said when I was in my country? This is the reason that I ran from you. Because I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. God, kill me. I don't want to live. Right? Finally, Jonah comes clean. Finally, we see what's really going on here. See, see God, or Jonah didn't run away from God because he was afraid of Nineveh. He, he wasn't. He, he didn't run away from God because he was comfortable with his life and he was lazy. He, he wasn't afraid of failure. Jonah was afraid of success. And he didn't want any of it. Jonah didn't want the people of Nineveh to experience God's grace. And to the first time reader of Jonah, this is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing. Before I, I unpack this, um, we got to take a few steps back and, and see where Jonah's coming from. And, and this is the turbulent part. So, so stay on the edge of your seat. Pay attention because it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to a beautiful landing. So, so follow with me. Um, do you remember the first week when I talked about Jonah and I said that he prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam I in 2 Kings? I said that, and I didn't just say that to try and look smart. Okay? I, I didn't just say, oh, Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II, like I know that. No, this is important. This is really important. You know why? Because Jonah was a real person. And he lived during a real time. And there was real history that was taking place here. There's real history. So let's see what was going on during the reign of Jeroboam the first and second that brought Jonah to this place of anger. In week one, I painted a picture of the Assyrians who were this, this evil and dark people. Right? I said that they were um, well known for their cruel methods of torture. You know, they, they take people out in the desert, make them dig a hole, stick the spike through the tongue, and, and people were afraid of them. Right? We also knew that whole cities committed suicide rather than falling into the hands of the Assyrians. We know that this is true. They were a terrifying people, no doubt. Right? But what I didn't mention week one was the condition of Israel at this time. I didn't say anything about that. See, at this time, both Israel and Judah were blessed with extremely stable governments. Their economies were booming, and they experienced a time of wealth and prosperity unparalleled since the time of Solomon. And from 780 to 745, the Assyrian Empire was unable to continue its pressure on Israel, and there was no threat that Assyria was going to take over Israel at all. Right? So life was good if you were living in Israel during this time. Life is good. You're not afraid. You don't have extreme enemies. See, see, are you getting the picture? They had the terrifying neighbors, but they weren't afraid that they were going to take over. And if history has taught us anything about what typically happens when man becomes wealthy and powerful, where do our natural thought tendencies wander towards? What, what do we start to worship? Oh, God, the provider of all things, you know, you bless me, or, or, or no, it, it turns inward, right? Well, I, I guess I'm doing pretty good. You know, I, I'm, I'm doing well. People are liking me. God must be blessing me. You know, things, things are going good. I, I, I deserve this. I've been working hard, you know. I work six days a week. And I go to church on Sunday. You know, I'm, I'm doing good. It, it rarely works the other way, right? right? When things are going bad, when tragedy hits, it's always, God, where are you now? 
Where are you? Hello, can't you see that I'm struggling? Why have you abandoned me, God? See, the Israelites saw their their stability as a sign of blessing from God. Life is good. God must be blessing me. Got my wife, got my house, got my kids, got my car, got my bank account, got my scholarship, got my hot girlfriend. Things are great. I'm going somewhere. You know, things are good. And during this time, Israel insists that God is going to use them to destroy their enemies. That's, that's just what's insisted. And they're going to be the rulers of the world. Right? Do you think this is what happened? Do you think that God is going to use Israel to conquer all their enemies? See, not only were the Israelites wrong in thinking that God would bless them, but they were wrong in thinking that God had already blessed them. Their present security and power and wealth was by no means a sign of God's blessing. And listen carefully. I'm not saying that if you are blessed that God isn't blessing you. He blesses us, that is for sure. But in this situation, in Israel, their blessing was not from the Lord. It wasn't. And and we're about to see in the book of Amos where it actually came from. And it actually is a curse from God for following their own idols and forsaking their covenant with him. We're about to see this. Their wealth and their prosperity had been accumulated at the expense of the poor, whom the rich were oppressing. And they had forsaken the law, and they were not following the Lord. They were trying to manipulate God. God will worship you because you're making us wealthy. We will do this because, because our enemies aren't threatening us right now. We're worshiping you, and this was idolatry. And, and it's to this backdrop that we get the Old Testament minor prophet books of Amos and Hosea, both predecessors to Jonah. So Jonah has this going on in his mind the whole time. We're going to look at Amos. Follow with me. We're going, to, we're going to hit Amos, and then we're coming back to Jonah. So Amos has a wonderful job. His job is to tell Israel, sorry, You're not going to be rulers of the known world. What you think is going to happen to you surely isn't going to happen. The day of the Lord is coming, but the day of the Lord is not a day of light. It's going to be a day of darkness. So get ready. So Amos chapter 1 verses chapter 2 through 5, he he starts telling the people about God's justice. You know, and and everyone's cheering because God's saying, I'm a just God, and I am going to punish those who are following idols. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, God, you're going to punish people. And it's it's broken up into small chapters, and uh, and Amos says God's going to punish the people from Damascus. He's going to punish those from Gaza. He's going to punish those from Tyre. He's going to punish those from Edom. And he's going to punish the Amorites. He's going to send fire. He's going to break down their rulers and immediately the Israelites are like, yes, this is us. He, God's going to use us to destroy everyone around us. And we are going to deliver um, God's message to these people. And Israel is going to be brought into ultimate power. God is on our side. All right. Things are good. But next, Amos turns his words towards Israel and just undresses Israel. God says, because you have made idols over money and over sex 
and you've been oppressing and abusing the poor, I am going to wreck you. Amos 3.11 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Skipping ahead to 527, it says, And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. See, what was thought to be a great time period of triumph for Israel is actually going to turn out to be a great time period of tragedy because Israel has forsaken the Lord and has turned to idolatry. And Hosea is dealing with the exact same thing. The Israelites have turned from the Lord. They've worshipped foreign gods, um, or they've worshipped their own idols. And Hosea specifically mentions a group of people who are going to come and who are going to conquer them. Now, who do you think Hosea mentions as the people who are going to conquer Israel? Assyria. Hosea 11.5. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. So are you feeling the weight of what's going on here? In a matter of chapters, Israel grows from thinking that they are experiencing God's blessing, that they are experiencing the hand of the Lord, to realizing what they've forsaken, and to realizing that they are doomed, and their destruction is coming at the hands of the Assyrians. And this is in the back of Jonah's mind. And when he gets there, for one, Jonah says, I hate them. He says, I hate them. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I don't want you to give them any mercy, God. I know that you're a gracious God, but I don't want any of it. I want them all dead. And finally, we see Jonah's idol. Finally, we see it. He's made such an idol over his people, over the well-being of Israel, that he wants to see Nineveh destroyed rather than saved. And he doesn't care about the fact that these are people. These are people. He just cares about his own people. And he says, I don't want them. At this point, it just doesn't seem fair. You know, it doesn't seem fair to the other prophets of the Old Testament whose, whose lives were ravaged, who many of whom were killed, who rarely saw revival. And here's Jonah. He preaches his word. Everyone repents. And he wants nothing to do with it. He wants nothing to do with it. Verse 4 through 9. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that, he, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But... When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind 
And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for a plant? And he said, yes, yes, I do. Angry, angry enough to die. See, this is where idolatry idolatry turns into tragedy. Because what happened here? Two weeks ago, Jonah is saying, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'll give you my life. And he obeys him. Right? He obeys God and he goes. He sends God's message. His behavior changed. But what didn't change in Jonah? His heart didn't change. He was simply going through the motions. And his motives were not right. And his preaching was in vain. His preaching was in vain. And, and here's my point. Is that Jonah... And perhaps some of the people of Nineveh were in the exact same place. Neither was converted to true gospel repentance. And even though their actions were right, right, even though they were going to church, even though they were reading their Bible, even though they were an, uh, a right-standing citizen, even though they followed God, their actions were motivated by the wrong reasons. See, often idolatry just creeps in. It just sneaks in our life in areas that seem to be good, in areas that seem to be well. You know, we're not worshiping a golden calf. We don't get out the the Asherah pole or or we don't have the, the stick and carve it out to Baal. See, our idols are often very, very hard to find. And they are often snuck into what seems to be right in our lives. See, we like the Israelites. We like the people of Amos' time. We think that our lives are good. You know, God must be blessing us. Things are good. My life is going well. But when life gets shaken, right, when our idols get stripped from us, when they crumble, our true hearts are revealed. Our true hearts are revealed. Last week, we, we looked at the idol of fear. And how we love to control our fears with our money. And how we love to do that. And we looked at the idol of people worship. And the lack of integrity or the loss of integrity that often happens when we are seeking other people's approval. And we looked at religious idolatry. Trying to use God for ourselves. For our own personal benefit. Whether it's health or wealth or well-being. You name it. And ultimately, we realize that the idol that we're making is the idol of ourself. We want what's best for me. Number one, looking out for myself. And today, we're going to take a closer look at the idol of self and at religious idolatry and how the two work together very often in the church. We're going to follow Jonah's example. And I'm going to unpack this by asking one question. I want you to think about this. As I ask this question, I want us to do a little, a little reflection here. Here's my question. Is there anything in your life that if you were to lose it, would you respond like Jonah? Would you say, my life is not worth living? I want you to think about that for a minute. Is there anything in your life 
that if you lost it, you would say, my life is not worth living. What's most important to you? To most of us, I hope it's a person. Right? It's a person. For me, if, if I was to lose my wife, my world would shatter. As Habakkuk says, my lips would quiver, rottenness would enter my bones, my legs would tremble. I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. But I know this, that through the deepest possible pain, I would say, God, you're enough. Jesus, you will satisfy me. You are king. I know that this really, really hurts, and I don't know why, but I know that my joy is in you. And that can never be taken from me. Because you are my king. You are my Lord. And at that moment, when the thing that you're holding to so tightly gets taken, what you worship is going to come out. It's going to come out because it's there. And it usually comes out like this. God, how could you do this to me? I've been a good person. I've come to church. I read my Bible. And I'm doing this all for you. How could you do this to me? And it comes out because it's there. And it was deep. And it was hidden. And it comes out that you, like Jonah, weren't, in fact, doing it for the Lord. You were doing it for yourself. And don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that when you have your identity in Christ that your whole life is going to be just this euphoric happiness. See, happiness and joy are totally different for the Christian. Because happiness can come one second and be gone the next. But your joy, where the foundation of your joy comes from, has got to be in one place and one place open and one place only. Because when tragedy comes, what you hold on to, when that's taken away, your true joy is revealed. Is it going to be anger at God? Or is it going to be, I I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'm going to trust you because you are my strength. Idolatry distorts our feelings. I'm angry at this plant, angry enough to die. Because what I found my joy in, what I found my value in isn't Christ. It's in this thing that I no longer have. And I don't know what to do without it now. My my life seems pointless and meaningless. Anything other than Christ can be taken from you. Anything. And if you've lived long enough, you know that this is true. And if you haven't, just wait. So so how can we keep ourselves from having this this Jonah moment? Right By ridding ourselves of this idol, by having Christ be our ultimate treasure, because everything else can and eventually will leave. But I... But this is not easy. This is not an easy task. This oftentimes is a lifetime. This is a lifetime. Taking yourself off the throne, putting Christ on. It takes a commitment. It takes a lifetime. And here in America, this is hard. Because self-idolatry is the air we breathe. Right? What's in it for me? 
What do I get? Am I in control? Do I like the sermon? Do I like what's being said? Do I think that things should be different around here? You know, I, 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 me, me, me. This is the air we breathe. And it's hard to get away from here. It is hard to get away from. So let's finish Jonah and see the heart of the Father. Chapter 4, verse 10. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make grow, which came into being into a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also as much cattle? See, maybe you're here today and you've, you've heard this story of Jonah for the first time. And, and it's really confusing to you. you know, or, or maybe you're here and you're trying to just figure out what's happening. Or, or maybe God's dealing with idols right now. And, and you, have, you have something in your mind about what may be an idol and, and you're trying to not think about that too much because it's going to be painful to deal with. See, either way, today is a day of good news. Today is a day of great news. Because in chapter 1, the first thing I said is I said the book of Jonah isn't about Jonah. It's not about me. It's not about you. The book of Jonah is about God. And this is good news. This is great news. This is the same God that we are trying to love. This is the same God who's calling out to us. See, in chapter 1, verse 1, God says, Jonah, I want you to go to these people. I want you to call them to repentance. Jonah runs. God doesn't get angry with him. God says, it's okay. I forgive you. Let's try that again. Let's try that again. And at the end here, God says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, those people that I love? I'm here for people. I've created them, and I want to save those who are lost. This is the heart of the Father. He wants us to repent. He wants us to be, he he wants to be king, because he knows that our joy in him is the only thing that can't be taken away. He knows that if you're clinging to anything else, that your life is going to be completely unsatisfying and it's going to end in trouble. And God says, no, I love this city. I love these people. And I want to be their treasure because I know that I will never fail them. Everything else will. I won't. He wants us to dive into his infinite love. He says, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. This is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of the story of Jonah. The God who sent Jonah to Nineveh is calling out to us, and he's saying, rid yourself of your idols and cling to me because I am the only thing that will not fail you. In the first chapter of Jonah, I said that it was important for us to believe that Jonah was the author. And I said this because Jonah being the author, uh, it's, it's, very, it's very important. If, if you look at the book and you stop with chapter 4, Jonah looks like a complete fool. 
He really does. And I'm going to choose to believe that there's a chapter 5 here. That after chapter 4, Jonah experiences and realizes what he's done. God's grace and compassion comes over him. He has a real heart change. He's relented of his idol, and he's told his story so that future generations can hear it. And he's sending us an invitation that says, look at where I was. I was a fool. I was even doing what God wanted me to do, but my heart was in the wrong place. I believe that chapter 5 exists where God came to Jonah, where Jonah gave up his idol, and he said, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I'm really yours. My heart is yours. I will worship you as king. Are we going to let idols rule our lives? Are we going to let ourselves rule our lives? Or are we going to let Christ transform us Let him be our joy, which can never be taken. This is my prayer for us. My prayer is that when tragedy happens, that we will will gather together, that we will comfort each other, that we will mourn together, but that our joy will not be taken because Christ is our joy. And we look forward to being with him one day in eternity. Let's take ourselves off of our thrones and let's put Christ up there. We're going to end here a little differently than usual. We're going to sing um, three or four songs. And, and during this time, I want you to think about what is in your life that is fighting for ultimate idolatry. What, what are we worshiping? What is taking you away from the Lord? Is, is there something there that you're finding your joy in? Are you using God? Let's take this time and reflect about what a wonderful God we have. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jonah. We thank you that, that our lives are very, very similar to his. Lord, that, that we struggle the same way that he did. That, that many times we go through the motions like Jonah, he, he went and he preached, but his heart was in the wrong spot. I pray that this morning, if our heart is in the wrong spot, that you would take it, that you would put yourself on the throne so that our joy can never be taken from us, so that when tragedy happens, that we will cling to you as the only thing that will sustain us. Jesus, thank you for saving us. We love you. Amen.